we're going to be in 2 Samuel. And so let's go ahead and get there. And we're going to pick it up where we left off, which is chapter 15 of 2 Samuel. The verse that we will start off on is the one we left, which is verse 23. And just that it might be um, helpful to you to see the direction this is going, the title of this is A Spiritual Profession in a Sorrowful Procession. And that'll be on the web page later. A Spiritual Procession or profession in a sorrowful procession. David's, as you recall, leading a remnant of his followers from Jerusalem and away from the city of God into the wilderness because there has been a conspiracy by one of his sons, number three, Absalom, who has distinguished himself by those who have admired him as now the one who is going to depose his father and take over that which God has not given him. So we're going to see what happens when those kinds of things occur. But we're going to be looking at David's life to see how a man of God, woman of God, handled the predicaments of the unexpected or perhaps something that perhaps was anticipated. What do we do in a crisis? And so we're going to see how David handles it. He doesn't lose his heart. He doesn't lose his mind. I appreciated, and I marked it, one of the songs that was kind of voicing that. I won't be formed by feelings. I'll hold fast to what is true. If the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. Because death is just the doorway into resurrection life. And if I join you in your sufferings, then I'll join you when you rise. And when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, my heart will sing, still be singing. My song will be the same. Great closing in Christ be magnified. David magnifies the love that he has in what truly was a personal experience with God. And his tenure right now in life, you know, even as Joe and I were talking about being both 63, um, it really does seem like such a fast compression of hard years for David. But hard years that God has been faithful at the entire time. And that's what we want to as well be mindful of. There are hard years before us but they are faithful years for God who comes behind us and leads us through those times. And so we're all to be encouraged. We hear a lot of stuff. We imagine a lot of things. But one of the most important things never to discount is God being counted on. And he looks at us. He's invested in us. And he's got things under control Even when society and culture says out of control, out of your mind, out of body. So we find our encouragement by looking through the scriptures and having addressed even contemporarily 
the things that we can say, man, it sounds kind of like what we're going through or what I'm going through. So we have been prayed. I'm going to ask the Lord to bless this direction now. And then at the close of the service, we'll have a special song that'll be sung. And so, Ed, when you're when you see me closing, just come on up and grab your guitar. Lord, we ask for your blessings that as there's been a prelude and the title of it, where we've been directed as to where our hearts need to have focus, that you would cause us to be encouraged. And we are being encouraged at what is, in the scriptures, a predicament of a man who loves you. The profession is one of faith, even as footsteps falter, as hearts are hurting and broken, as heads will be bowed, as garments will be rent, as feet will be vacated of their shoes, that a man walks barefooted, perhaps even mired in sticky clay of the soil of those days and the seasons that he came upon in this vacating of the city, thorns and stones, the things that hurt. And yet each footstep he saw as you faithfully leading him as he took them. Things that even on this pathway will be insulting and degrading will be those things that could summon an emotion that would provoke him to do something contrary than to trust in you. Help us not to be those who emotionally respond, but who cast our cares upon you and who trust, even in the events that are difficult to hear, difficult even to remain at peace in, that we don't have to be doing things in our flesh that ultimately lead to a greater consequence committing this to you as well, praying in celebration for um, Josh and Janelle and the baby that is even now being knitted together. We ask for your blessings. How wonderful it is that when a culture turns its back on babies, we as a church are able to lift them up to you and to thank you for delivering mother and child. Continue to do that. For those who in the church are under affliction, bless them by your spirit in a needful touch. We would ask until something changes that you will heal them. And thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So again, if the title went by you pretty fast, a spiritual profession and a sorrowful procession. It's a walk. And what we see right now is the talk of David will agree with the walk of David. Very often, we can say we are in conflict. We say one thing and do altogether another thing. That's a part of our frail humanity. David as well had certain events marked against him. Talking one way as a sweet psalmist, one who had a heart for God, and yet at times made decisions that were contrary to that very speech that perhaps was no motivational and in fact inspired those who were with them and those who had invested themselves that he would be one that in his humanity would always nevertheless turn back to God. And that's one of the things that we as 
individuals want to be reminded of, that you're not here today, you didn't cross that threshold because of perfection. You cross it in spite of imperfection. You had challenges this week. We all do. We still will. But what you chose to do, rather than be governed by feelings of inadequacy, of failure, you took steps that for you were acts of worship from the car to the door, a door that at times just seems so heavy to open. That's why we have deacons, ushers. They open the door for you and usher you past that threshold. Your needs are being met even as what you hope not to have happen is your gaze being seen as one sorrowful and your footsteps perhaps as pitiful. So when we see David, we ought to see ourselves because what we do know is that in his deep offense, that would be by those who have betrayed him, he realizes he, in a moment earlier, years before, had also offended. And so he's willing to see the package. He's willing to understand that there was a prophecy spoken in a deliverance that was granted that he would not die, but that his household would be messed up for a season. This is what David is understanding about his predicament. He prays that it might change. He certainly is grieved that it's coming about. And these things are always contingent upon what we have also focused on in the Psalms, which is the mercy of God, the grace of the Lord. Why is that important? Well, it gives us a deep understanding that in spite, in spite of the ominous, you know, darkness in the air, the foreboding, God's in charge. And he charges us to trust him. This picks up in 23 where we left off. And all the country wept with a loud voice. It continues, and all the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron. And all the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. We don't have the numbers of those that followed David, but we suspect it was not the entire city because he left to preserve the city. Those who are following him are those who have spent the longest time with him. They would be those distinguished perhaps in positions that helped David administratively. So important that when a position of authority has been given, that you are able to exercise a faithfulness in the administration of strength in a time of weakness. Solidarity when there's so many things that are tearing apart those who you have been with. That's, in essence, what family does. We stick with family. It's what the church does. We stick to the principal belief that Jesus is head over the church, the church is his body, and it's vital in its functioning. 
Even in the midst of great dysfunction, it is functioning. Our body systems take, if you would, hits externally, internally. And yet it is a body system. It's God's body system. We pray that whether it's external or internal, that the Lord God is the one that ultimately can touch it, can cause it to have a change for the better, or at least a change for the vital, that it's not over, even though some would say it's all over. So in this church, we know of people who are both being affected internally and externally. But the same thing is true in this, what is a profession. That means a movement, a change, away from perhaps what was the norm. Profession means what does your life speak about on the long and winding road? Though it's narrow, it is long and it's winding. It seems to have an uncertainty. What do we do? David right now has been acknowledging those who have both preceded him and followed him. He's kind of in the middle. He's assessing each one in terms of where they are in terms of in strength, in spirit, and ultimately yielding to where they want to be. They want to be with him. Sometimes people have a challenge in terms of not wanting anybody with them. And yet God makes the person who has a profession by their talk and by their walk to be paired up, in this case, with an entourage of spiritual people. And so we know his heart is broken, but the reason that he is doing this is not that probably he couldn't summon an army and actually call allies to his side. He wants nothing that would detract from God's provision of protection. He doesn't want it to be about his skills as a general, his admiration from others as a great king, He doesn't want to trust in anybody but the Lord. So this move to vacate was to protect the city of God. This move to become someone less than what God said he was is an act of humility. Men really strive to keep their place when God completely has the appointment of where that person can stay, and at the times of the questions, the uncertainty, where he will be faithful to restore. Some people need to know you will be restored. You will have a great place, a great influence. It's just a season, but you're not to attach to it feelings that dismiss God and his sovereignty. He's looked at one man we saw just before that, a little bit older. He had kids, and he said, you're kind of new to this work right now. 
you ought not go with us. You don't know what you're getting into. You're not yet really there with us. And the voicing of that man still resonates to me. And that was simply this. As the Lord lives and as my Lord the King lives, surely in whatever place my Lord the King shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. That was Idei. And when David heard that, he said, cross over, bring your family. That's all I need to hear. That's really all God needs to hear, that our trust in him is regardless of the sacrifice of our life and the hardships that may await. That really is the disciples' call. As this man proceeds forward, though, and as we've looked even right now, of this country, represented by those who are following David right now, all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people crossed over. That's one of the things that we need to ask the Lord to touch in the hearts of this country's citizenry, that we weep, we lament for the kinds of things that we have allowed our country to become, far different than the authors of those historically we admire, that were draftsmen, diplomats, statesmen, great men of faith, and some who came into a great faith by seeing the evidence of God providentially. That means God working within a situation in ways that were masked practically, but they were dynamic spiritually. We must not forget that every single day, behind the scenes, God is working in a revelation of himself to protect you and to cause you to have a voice in your procession while your faith in perhaps sorrowful footsteps is professing a true trust in the Lord. As David welcomes these who are following him, it continues to say, beyond the weeping, the crossing over, the king himself also crossed over. This is the brook Kidron. It's a dry brook in these days. At this time, it very likely was flowing and with a stronger than simply trickle brook um, observation. It represents what happens when we do follow the Lord. There's a baptism that takes place. We cross from what is a crisis over into an experience with the Lord. We call it in the church a baptism through water. It's also representing a spiritual baptism. Jesus would say to his disciples who questioned that particular idea, can you? And they said, we can. One day you will. You will experience a baptism. It will be a baptism that will be a fire. You will experience it. But I'm preceding you on this. And so this king, as he crosses over, is moving into a time of great sorrow. Remember when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan, he had 40 days to experience an intense time of testing, deep sorrow. The Spirit compelled him to be 
sent out into the wilderness where he would do battle with Satan who provoked him intending to supplant the Lord and what the Lord was compelled to do and that was to withstand the lies and the misleadings of the enemy that Jesus might not fulfill his determined destiny to be the sacrifice of God as the Son of God to go to a place that ultimately in his sacrifice would give us deliverance. Great picture. As the country weeps, as David is crossed over, he moves into a wilderness. That's what it says. It says in this, there's a man that he meets. Notice this. He's familiar to us only because we realize he's been with David for a while. There was Zadok also and all the Levites with him. Notice what's being done here. Bearing the ark of the covenant of God and they set down the ark of God and Abiathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over from the city and the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. In Zechariah 4, 6, familiar to you, and it is, it's a great passage. It's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, thus saith the Lord. The ark represented the presence of God. David saw, though, that it wasn't simply in that construct of a holy article actually being taken upon the shoulders appropriately by the Levites in a procession that both a prophet, Zadok, and Abiathar represented with his sons. He didn't do too well when he brought the ark in on the first round, tried to. He tried to do it away contrary to God's will. These men weren't commanded to do it, but what we do is see their heart that the power of God would go with them. David, though, is saying that's not the way that God's going to do it. He's not going to do it by a manifestation of himself in the form of the ark. And he's probably going back to the time well in advance of his birth in which a priest, Eli, sent the ark into battle presuming that the Lord was going to be, as a result of that, giving victory to the Israelites. God had no intentions of doing that. Because one, he forbade that particular battle. And David is saying right now, what has been assigned to me in my departure from Jerusalem will be also my token investment of trust and faith no matter what happens. What else was he leaning on, though, which I think to me is, is very promising to you and I. And so I'm going to direct your eyes to 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I believe this is what David was reflecting on. It's important right now you reflect on what has God spoken to you. And sometimes the help that's being afforded to you is not what God actually has for you. 
It's a different kind of work that God wants to do. And it's not by showing firepower. <laughs> it's not by a manifestation of God that you can simply tote around and be confident in. It's the Spirit of God. It's not by Him how much flex you've got. It's actually how humble you can demonstrate a strength and the faith that God has given to you as a gift. But in this passage, I believe David is reflecting nobly. In verse 11, he was told by Nathan the heart of God in a time in which he had been confronted for his sin. And this is what it says. Also, Nathan would say in verse 11, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. Remember, David's desire was that he build a house for God. God was flattered, but wasn't going to permit him to do it. Rather, he heard from this same prophet who had given him the word concerning how his family would turn out. And he says, this is the word to you. This is what the Lord says. He will make you a house. And then go down to verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. David needed to draw from a previous word that was given to him on what it would be in terms of not striving and not relying on anybody else's plan of how to get this done, how to leave intact, how to gain victory. He had to rely on just the promise of God. And that at times can be very distressing and unnerving because everybody wants a token. We want something other than the invisibility of God to get us through what we're going through. And David right now is just saying, this was a promise of God. Now, if he promised this house that I want to build for him is going to be a house that he'll build for me, and if he said he's going to do it, I must trust that he will get it done. And therefore, if I take the ark from the place, even though my prophet and the priest and the Levites are into it, my faith is being tested on whether God is. If he says that's his city, and if he says that's the place that he's going to build for me, then who am I to dislodge the ark? I had a celebration in bringing that ark in. It cost me two guys when I got it wrong. What I did remains because God has put his seal on that place. And so it's really remarkable that David would say that because everybody would probably say, man, if I had a group of godly men that would help me get something done and they're saying this is the firepower, this is going to do it, I'd kind of consent just to be through with it quickly. But David, in the exercise of faith, calls upon his remembrance of God's faithfulness and says, 
send it back because that's where God's heart is. And God said that there would be one coming from my seed that would rule over that work and this spiritual empire that God will create. That's remarkable, especially where he sees one son who's now proven to be rebellious, and yet in his heart he knows that another son is going to be raised up. He has to balance it out. One son who's obviously at war with him, one son who hasn't yet been fully in his heart marked as to who is going to take that seat. David's trusting that his throne would be established forever. And the reason that that's important is because this is the city of God, and we know that Jesus was also qualified as the son of David. And the Lord would visit Jerusalem. The temple activities in different successions would continue on in that city. So this is a remarkable statement that David makes, sending those guys back. And David says with regard to that, to his dwelling place. This is what I'm willing to trust the Lord in, verse 26. If he says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to him. David knew the mercy of God, the faithfulness of the Lord, and he's willing to say, if in what now is happening, the Lord finds no favor in me. I will let that be the answer, the conclusion to where I'm at. Another remarkable statement of faith. Can God have that authority of trust in him from each one of us that no matter what happens, we will not turn our back on him, nor will we be ones who remain anything less than devoted to him. This is essentially what David is saying. Remarkable. Let him do to me as seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace, and your two sons with you, Ahimaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait in the plains of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. Therefore, Zadok, Abiathar, carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and there they remained. He's sending, basically, the priesthood back to the place where they can oversee the duties of covering the ark and the activities that were necessary. God is not stripping David of his power. He's just teaching David how to trust in him in a different way. And what David is saying by sending the priests back is the activities that have been faithfully committed to the Lord will continue no matter what. That's why one of the things that is meritorious about the church is to say, in faithfulness, the activities which are conducted for God will remain in place to God. 
We may be sent on the run, but the activities that are faithful to God will remain in place to honor the Lord. And I believe it's a way that the church needs to stand, needs to stay, may be in homes. I pray that there's always a place such as this in which we say no matter what, those things which are at charge to the church in prayer, the teaching of God's word, communion, they remain in place. And that's the place we come to. That's the place that we'll be. And in a sense, that's what David is saying right now. The Lord is with me, but if I'm wrong on that, then I'm not going to strive with God over it. I'm willing to accept it. But in his heart, according to the promises, he says, I was told something by God regarding his heart for that place. So take the presence of God in the ark, the priesthood, let it resume. We're not going to turn that city into a non-spiritual place just because I've been displaced. It remains the same. May our homes be like that. Things happen in homes. May it be where we say, this is what's right. This is what we do. And so as this continues, Zadok hearing these instructions, and obviously David being completely resigned, let him do to me as seems good to him. Zadok, Abiathar, the sons, the Levites with them are going to return. David's going to wait, it says in the plains of the wilderness, until word comes from them that could inform him on what he's to do or what revelation God has given them. Zadok, verse 29, and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. That's what we're to do as a church. We're to hold fast, stay in place. Displacements of some, maybe, indeed, eventually, civil law violating our right to assemble. We stay in place. We show God our trust and our confidence. David went up by the ascent, verse 30, and it says this, of the Mount of Olives, and wept as he went up. And he had his head covered and went barefoot, and all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up, weeping as they went up. It's not really a far ascent to cross the Kidron brook and to move into what at one time was an ancient forest of olive trees. They don't exist today. There are some that have been marked as of this time period, but it's not a forest of olive trees any longer. This is the path that David's taking away from the city of God. And it's the very path that the Lord would himself take multiple times to be in that area of devotional presence with God, his Father. Jesus would enter Jerusalem in advance of a triumphal entry, and he would weep over Jerusalem that did not know the hour of their visitation. David leaves the place of Jerusalem to weep on the mountain. Jesus later would follow in the night that he would be betrayed to a place of prayer, and there in anguish would sweat drops of blood as if they were weeping from his forehead. The illustrations are pretty dynamic as far as their similarity. 
But what we see in David right now is really just an act of overt humility in a time of great humiliation. Are you able to take a humiliating circumstance and turn it into humility, which honors the Lord? Everybody finds himself humiliated, probably more so than ever, just because of the way that media is and the way public discourse moves. But can you take something that is humiliating and immediately convert it into humility and bless the Lord? This is what David's doing. He's showing the people that this right now is breaking his heart. But in this profession, that means what he's seen doing on this sorrowful procession is honoring the Lord. He's already said, if the Lord wants to bring me back, then he's the one that can do it. And it won't be by anything that I've done or let anybody else do. He can do it. I'm ready at the same time. If not, then to my death. He never doubted that the Lord, as a deliverer, could change the situation to deliver. And that's one of the things that we also need to remember. The Lord is always able to deliver and change the circumstance to be delivered. And we can't give up on that. We can't say, oh, the towel's thrown in. We're outnumbered. We're outsmarted. It's never true with God. And the more that you trust in him and believe in his ability, his divine intervention, you really stand to be rewarded greatly in the providential hand of God, how he turns things for his glory, proving that the mightiest are the weakest and the weakest that have a relationship in him are the most triumphant. He confounds the wise uses the foolish things. And so David right now is practicing this trusting faith, but he's showing in deep humiliation, great reverent humility. The removal of his sandals portray two that had preceded him in the lineage of faith. One, Moses, who had a surprise calling at a burning bush, who began to interact with God bowing down when he was told, remove your sandals for the ground that you are standing on is holy. Joshua, who followed him, when Moses was turning over basically leadership to him, was told upon a meeting before taking Jericho on, after questioning the angel of the Lord, which was a Christophany of Jesus, remove your sandals the place you're standing is holy ground. And David right now, in humility, is saying, though these indeed are troubling times for me, the trail of tears for me, I will remove my sandals as an act of worship. Now, I've been there in some, an interesting season where it was both hot but not as hot as it could be, and wet, not as wet as it could be. But the soil's interesting. It's like a sponge, and it grabs your feet. It just sticks. It almost is clay-like. 
it's continuing to just add itself to your feet and your toes. You have to almost shake it off. I don't think the topography has changed that much. I could be wrong. But from my experience, the vulnerability of your feet to move, and especially if this is that kind of a season, or even if it is to weather what is a very ferocious plant, we ran across them in taking trails around the Sea of Galilee, and they bite you. They're like blackberries, but they stick, and they don't release easily, and they sting. Don't know what those are called, but there's a greater thorn called the Jerusalem thorn, and it is spiked. There's an inference that when you see it, that's what was knitted together and pounded upon the Lord's brow. So David, even right now in his act of humility, is saying, this is going to pain me, but I'm doing this for God. And where I'm at right now, I'm removing my sandals that there's nothing between my worship of God and my talk concerning the Lord. And that's really the picture. God is saying that even in the thinnest dimensions of a leather sandal, if anything's in the way of your worship to him, remove it. And everybody has something in their life that they need to say, that's getting between me and connecting with the holiness of God. I'm going to remove it. David proceeds up this path with his head covered. It's an act of mourning and respect. Clothes are being rent and there's weeping that's going on. And it's all very authentic. Our nation has a need for humility and weeping and the renting of political garments and cultural abomination. It's where we ought to start as a nation, but it has to start somewhere. And so very often the Lord says, in the household of faith, then I will start. That's when it's best going to be effective, when it starts with where my heart is at. Not where the people's heart isn't at, but where my heart is at is where it starts. And so as David is overtly doing this, ascending and weeping, head covered, barefooted, all the people with him are in a choir of lamentation. Notice this in verse 31. Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O oh Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Verse 32. Now it happened when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshipped God, there was Hushai, the archite, coming to meet him and his robe torn and dust on his head. This is where the appropriateness of a meeting that was divinely appointed as the answer to prayer. When David hears from someone in the know that Abiathar, excuse me, when 
Ahithophel has been pronounced as a part of the conspirators with Absalom. It's another insult to already a deep injury. He was a chosen counselor. He goes all the way back to the years in which David accrued mighty men of God. He was renowned for his wisdom and counsel. But what you need to be reminded of is that he would have been Bathsheba's grandfather. In other words, the father of Bathsheba, this was his dad. And he was a part of what we would say the mighty men were. So what David is seeing right now is that all of the history that David had with these men, and in particular this man, is erased in what seems to be a concerted effort now to get back at David for what he had done. God had already removed that. God had already forgiven David. But there are those who in David's close sphere had not forgiven him. And they, like Absalom, were waiting for an opportunity to turn against David. And this is one of the reasons that in closing right now, we need to be certain that we're not operating on feelings, but we're always having our faith rewarded by God's pleasure in how we handle betrayals. How do we handle them when the very people that perhaps have a huge history with us turn from us? Do we handle it well? Or do we reciprocate and handle it wrong? As David is right now saying this, and this is a prayer, why? Because he says those words, O oh Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And then who comes just on the horizon, just at the peak of this prayer? This would be that man, the archite, Hushai. And so what I'm saying here in closing is that the moment that you perhaps have even now said, Lord, I pray, turn that person's counsel as foolishness in what they are conspiring to do. Hushai comes on the scene, and he is going to be the answer of that prayer. Somebody, even now, in your life, is the answer of the prayer that in your procession right now that has been professed in weeping, humility for humiliation, it's going to be used by God to be an advocate for you. Have you ever had an advocate for you? I know we talk about Jesus being our advocate. Do you know he sends advocates on dispatch for you? Because what you have to do, you can't do. And so he sends somebody directly from the agency of heaven who's robed as a human being. And they're anointed to counter what the enemy has put in the heart of somebody in the moment or midst of betrayal. It's a fascinating thing. In the moment that David is saying, oh Lord, not I'm going to get him. I'm going to dispatch 30 of you guys and go after him now and take him out. He just says, oh Lord, the counsel that he has, turn it against himself. We have to know how to pray to the Lord exceptionally. 
that in areas of specifically where we are emotional, we don't get in God's way, but we see him employing others to help in our times of need. I know that when you know we talk from Scripture and when we're dealing with things that are historic, they also have a present tense need to be heard and applied. I know this is true for me. There are times in which I want to try and figure it out. And I want to have something that is really dynamically tactile as far as God with me. I'm going to bring in the ark then. But the Lord says, why? In essence, my spirit occupies you. You, don't, you couldn't have a better ark of God than my spirit in you. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, thus saith the Lord. So in areas that perhaps even right now where you're in that place where changes have happened and it's hard, the prescription is let your profession be seen in your walk. Let your walk talk. And let God answer faithfully to the need that you have of the predicament that he's moving you through. This is only the beginning of things getting tougher for David. But as he weeps, sandals removed, he looks to the horizon on that mountain. And as he gets there, there's an answer to prayer. But I guarantee you, when that answer of prayer is met and Hushai is dispatched, he's got some other individuals that are waiting to do the very same thing. And very often we move from a victory into another insult and injury. And you've got to be ready for it. You've got to say, all right, God saw me faithfully through that, which means I've been prepared for the next thing that he also will see me through. <laughs>